Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can someone just give me a quick mic check, please? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So, uh, inshallah ta'ala, today we're going to continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-Teen. So last week we, uh, we, I think last week was our second lesson on this surah, and we kind of summarized the first three verses in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by those four things that are mentioned at the beginning of the surah, by the teen, which is the fig, by the zaytun, which is the olive, by turi sinin, which is the mountain, and by the balad al-amin, which is the sacred city of Mecca. And we mentioned last week the two approaches that the scholars had when it comes to that group of oaths that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes, those scholars who said that it should be taken on face value, that it should be understood just to mean what it is, and that is that it's the fig, the olive, the mountain, and the city. And that was the position of some of the scholars of tafsir. And other scholars of tafsir, they said that actually those uh, those uh, issues or those points that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings, those things that Allah azza wa ta'ala takes an oath by, Yes, they are those things, but they also denote certain other things. And that is the places that they are referring to, which are the lands of the three uh, three of the greatest prophets and messengers that Allah Azza wa sent to mankind, the prophets Musa, Isa, and our prophet Alayhi Musalatu Wasalam. And that was the position championed by the likes of Ibn Qayyim, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, that it's also referring to their lands, right? So the land of uh, Baytul Maqdis for the Prophet Isa the land where the mountain of Atur is for Musa السلام, and the city of Mecca for our Prophet Then we moved on to verse number 4 and that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells us what the jawab al-qasm is which is basically the reason for which Allah has taken an oath. So Allah takes an oath. What is He taking an oath for? He is taking an oath for the creation of man in the best of form. لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ and we mentioned the statements of the scholars of tafsir with regards to the tafsir of that word ahsani taqweem and what, is exactly it's, what exactly it's referring to. And we mentioned a number of opinions. The two main ones from amongst them was those who said that the word ahsani taqweem means fi a'dali surah or something similar to that. They have different wordings, but they essentially mean the same thing. And that is that it's referring to the best of form. The fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created man in the best of form. And similar to it was the statement that Ibn Abbas عنهم, and others have concerning how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created man in such a way different to the animals, whereby, the, uh, for example, uh, you know, a human isn't basically on four, uh, on four legs, but rather has the ability to stand and has the use of their arms and their head is raised up high and so on. All of that comes to essentially that same uh, opinion or that same statement of the scholars of tafsir. And then the other scholars who said that the meaning of Ahsani Taqweem is actually referring to a person being able to use or reach the pinnacle of their strength, the pinnacle of their age, of their youth, where they have the maximum strength to be able to use. And that's something which is also similar. And, and um, you know, it's very similar in terms of its meanings, uh, in terms of, because no doubt, from the perfect creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for man, or from the complete and balanced creation of man, is that they're able to use their strength at that time in life when they reach the pinnacle of their youth and that age where they have their full strength with them. 
So that's the statement of them. I think we concluded uh, last week with the uh, with with the uh, the statement or the uh, view mentioned by some of the scholars of tafsir, like Ibn Sa'di, rahimahullah ta'ala, which was basically that the word Ahsani Taqweem actually refers to two types of creation. The external creation, which is that Allah Azza wa Jalla created in such a way that we are able to use our limbs and our bodies and our uh, the physical strength that Allah Azza wa Jalla has endowed us with, but it also refers to the internal creation of the fitrah and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created every single human upon the fitrah that they should worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And that is also from the complete creation that Allah Azza wa Jalla gave to man. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created people in the best possible form and way. In the best possible form and way. And those tafsirs of verse number four are very important going on because I want us to remember that and that's why I've summarized it in that way because going on now to the next verse and then the verses that will come uh, that uh, that will come later it is also referring to that in terms of of us being able to uh, of us being able to um, then understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying in verses in the verses that will come later on because they all kind of refer to what has already been said in verse number four uh, someone just said that they're not getting any sound can someone just confirm that the, the video is okay the sounds okay is the problem with just uh, that person or is it, is it uh, a problem on my side? Okay, Sakallah khair. So I think uh, that's a problem then with uh, with uh, Shakila. You, you have a problem with your on your side. Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the next verse, then verse number five, now we move on to. And Allah azza wa says, Then reduce him to the lowest of the low. And I just want to look at the different translations or a few of them. With regards to this verse, I think that they are all very similar. Mufti uh, Taqi, then we turned him into the lowest of the low. Muhsin Khan, then we reduced him to the lowest of the low. The Professor Abdul Halim, which we already did. And Sahih International, then we returned him to the lowest of the low. Qatada and Al Kalbi, they said with regards to the meaning of this word, Asfala Safinin. This is where the difference is going to come from, right? Then we returned him, who is he referring to? Insan. Right? Insan meaning mankind. But the word insan is obviously a singular. And that's why the singular is being mentioned here in terms of radadnahu. Because the word insan is often used in the Arabic language for a singular, in a singular form, but also to sometimes mean or to often mean the plural, which is all of mankind. And so therefore the pronouns that come along with it can also be in the singular form or in the plural form as well. So Allah says, And this is the issue where the scholars now will speak about the meaning of this particular part of the verse, What is the lowest of the law? Qatada and Al-Kalbi and others said that it is to return someone to old age, to the feebleness of old age, the frailty of old age. And Al-Hasan al-Basri rahimahullah ta'ala said, Is that they return him, that Allah is saying that that person will be returned to the fire, the fire of how? Jahannam. And Imam al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentioned uh, both of these statements. And he said that the scholars differed concerning this. He said the first opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir as to the meaning of asfal as-safilin is that it is to return someone to old age. It is to return someone to old age. And he mentioned a number of the scholars of tafsir from the early scholars that preceded him who had this opinion. And he mentioned amongst them Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhumah, and Ikrimah, 
and Ibrahim al-Nakha'i and Qatada and al-Kalbi amongst others. Uh, and he mentioned the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. And that is that, Allah, uh, that, he, that is that he said in the tafsir of this verse that a person will be returned to old age. Kabira hatta dhahaba aqlu. This person goes old until they become uh, senile. And those are the people that return to old age. That is asfal as-safilin or the meaning of asfal as-safilin. And then Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala chose this opinion. So this is the first opinion. The second opinion is that what, what we mentioned as being the statement of al-Hasan al-Basri, that it's returning a person to the half fire. Right? So we have two positions. That person being returned asfal as-safilin, the lowest of the low is either the old age, the frailty, the, the being senile, not, not being able to use your mental faculties, that's what it's referring to, or it's referring to the return of someone to the fire of hell, right, the fire of hell. And so therefore the issue here, why is there a difference of opinion? The difference of opinion occurs as to whether the return of someone, right, the returning of that person, is it back, is it pertaining to this life, the dunya, or is it retain, re- referring to the next life? Is it referring to this life or is it referring to the next life? Those scholars that said that it's referring to this life, as we will mention and we mentioned the names of some of them who had that opinion, then they will say that it's basically returning someone to old age. The lowest of the low is the frailty that comes with old age, the weakness that comes with old age, the inability to be able to use your mind and to be able to understand and to be able to use your body and so on and so forth. That weakness, that is what is being referred to. And this is the position that was supported and championed by Al-Imam Al-Tabari Rahimahullahu Ta'ala. And he said that this is the position that we chose. Why did he choose this position? Because they said that this surah speaks towards the group of Quraysh or speaks to the people, the disbelievers amongst Quraysh and others who deny resurrection. They deny the afterlife. They deny that Allah will bring people back to life. And so Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in this surah is establishing the fact that Allah Azza wa will resurrect and bring people back to life. And that's what Allah Azza wa will say as will come later on in a couple of verses. What then makes you disagree or what then makes you disbelieve and reject the resurrection? So they say that's the whole purpose of this surah, to speak towards people who reject the afterlife. So therefore, if these are people who reject the afterlife, when Allah Azza wa says that we have created you in the best of form, that's something which people can witness, it's something which we can see, it's something which we are able to acknowledge for ourselves because we see it in ourselves and we see it within one another. But if Allah Azza wa says that we are going to return you to the lowest of the low and that's the fire of hell, that's something which can't be seen. Nor are those people expected to believe it because they outright deny resurrection and the, and the afterlife. So therefore, the meaning of the verse in order to keep it in the same context and the same understanding is that we say that it's referring to the old age, frailty, being senile. And that's because people can see that, something which is witnessed, something which people have experienced, something which people see around them in their family and in their neighbors and in their friends and in their community. It's something which is witnessed and something which is acknowledged and therefore, therefore, it is something which they uh, understand, right? And we will speak about how this then continues on in the two opinions with the coming verses, inshallah ta'ala, that we will discuss. But this was the position that was championed by Al Imam Al Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala, that it's referring to the return of old age. A person who's returned as fal as it is to old age. And that's why Al Imam Al Tabari says, because these are a people who disbelieved in the hereafter, they disbelieved in the last day, and they disbelieved, therefore, by extension, in the existence of hellfire. 
So if Allah how can Allah threaten them with something that they already disbelieve in? Meaning if Allah is trying to explain to them and prove to them, He's going to use things that they can see and witness around them as signs of resurrection rather than speaking about something or threatening them with something which they automatically dismiss because of their beliefs. That was the position of Imam al-Tabari and it's the one that he championed and he, he greatly supported. And similar to him amongst those scholars who followed him in that vein was Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala in his tafsir. He said and Ibn, Ibn Jarir chose the first position which is that they will return to old age and he says and it is as you can see the plain position because that is what the different texts of the Quran seem to support. And he says, and that's why Allah Azza wa then says, فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ Meaning that after all of these clear signs that Allah has given to you and these clear evidences, how then can you reject the resurrection? He says those clear signs have to be signs that those people can understand, those people can see and witnessed and witness before them. And that's why he also supported this position. He says, as for saying the other position, that it is that the lowest of the low is returning them to the fire, he said, then this is something which they did not witness, nor is it something that they would believe in. So therefore, it doesn't make sense that it should be what is being referred to in this verse, because it is not something which those people are referring to anyway. And Shaykh al-Uthaymin, rahimahullah ta'ala, also in his tafsir, seemed to lean towards this particular position, that Asfal al-Safirin is referring to the, um, the old age that a person is returned to. And he said, because Allah Azza wa says elsewhere, as in Surah An-Nahl, verse number 70, وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمْرِ And from amongst you there are those who are returned to the feebleness of old age. So he said, the more that a person becomes older, the more advanced they become in age, the weaker that they become physically, the weaker that they become mentally as well. And he said, and if it's referring to, and if we were to say, that actually what's being referred to here, that they return to the lowest of the low, is in terms of their fitrah, the inner meaning. Remember we said, Ahsani Taqweem has the external uh, creation and the internal creation that Allah Azza wa has placed within us of Iman and that belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that worship of Him. He said that if it means, if it's referring to that, that a person uh, is losing that side, he said then that's also something which is acceptable because both are meanings that are present in the verse. But as you can see therefore, the second position is what is referring to the internal self. But when it comes to the position, the two positions of whether Asfal al-Safirin is referring to the fire of hell or whether it's referring to old age, he seems to support the position of Imam al-Tabari and others in referring to that. And also similar to them, uh, another scholar of tafsir that also supported this was al-Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullahu ta'ala. And he said that it's referring to Arda al-Umar the old age, and that is that a person reaches old age. Just as remember we said in verse number 4, that, that it's referring to the strength of youth, then he says that that is juxtaposed here by mentioning the feebility or feebleness of old age and, the, uh, and, and what a person goes through as they decrease in their physical strength and in their mental strength as well. And Imam Shukani says, and this was the position of a group of amongst the scholars of Tafsir. And Imam Al-Wahidi also said something similar. Al-Wahidi in his Tafsir, he said that the Safilun, Asfal Safilun, the Safilun are the weak and the children and those who are extremely old. Those are the people that are being referred to. That's the first position that we have. The second position that was chosen is that it's referring to the fire of hell. Why is it referring to the fire of hell? What do those scholars say? They say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying 
that he created us in the best of form and that best of form includes a person's aqeedah right that's what allah really looks at allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at the person's faith that is what allah favored people with and just as he created them with the best of opportunities in the best of form then when they reject and they don't use those blessings in a way that Allah has ordained, it is only befitting, therefore, that when they return to the lowest of the low, then that's referring to the fire of hell because that's what goes with that. right? There, So they're looking at it from that perspective rather than the perspective of it being your strength and therefore opposite of strength is weakness. They're looking at no, Allah when he says, is referring to more than just strength. He's referring to a person's heart and, and, the, and the iman that is placed in the, the fitrah, that is placed within every single person. That person that rejects that then, it's only befitting that when Allah returns them to the lowest of the low, that is referring to the fire of hell. And this was the position that was chosen by also a great group of scholars of tafsir, from amongst them Abu Ali and Mujahid and Qatada and Al-Hassan al-Basri and Ibn Zayd and from amongst the scholars who chose this position and supported it was Ibn al-Qayyim and Ibn Kathir and Ibn al-Sa'di alayhim rahmatullahi jami'an in their respective tafasir. Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala he champions this position in his commentary on this surah and he says that no doubt the position that they are being returned to the fire of hell is better meaning it is more apparent and that is for a number of reasons. The first of them, he says, is because in the Arabic language and in the custom of the Arabs, the phrase asfala safilin does not refer to old age, neither by the language of the Arabic of the Arabs, nor in their custom. When someone says that you're going to be the lowest of the low, that people think that it refers to old age. But rather what it refers to, he says, when you speak about the lowest of the low, is physical lowness. It's like the lowest grade that you can be. When you say that someone is the lowest of the low, even in English, you don't really think of someone who's old, right? The, the meaning that comes to your mind wouldn't be that it's referring to someone that's old in age or someone that's weak. It refers to someone who's degraded, humiliated, is the lowest of the low in terms of honor and nobility. That's what comes to mind. This is what Ibn Qayyim Taala says. It is the same in the Arabic language and in the custom of the Arabs. So rather what it's referring to is a sijin, which is the lowest depths of the fire. The lowest of the low, that's the context in which he says that it is mentioned in the Quran as well. So remember, Shaykh Shanqit is looking at the other verses that speak about Allah when he describes the cycle of humans in creation. He describes them going through stages, and one of those stages is Ardal al Umar. But Ibn Qayyim and the scholars who agreed with the second position are looking at it in a different way. They're not looking at human life in terms of the stages of age and its advancement, but what they're looking at is a person's spiritual sight as well. And so they say that when Allah speaks about the depths and the lowness and the degrading of someone, then he's referring to it in the sense of people's punishment of the fire. And so he says, Sijin, that is the place that is referred to as being extremely low in opposition to Al-Illiyin, those people who will be up high, who are the Abrar and the righteous. He says the second reason why that why Asfal Safilin refers to the fire and not old age is because many, many people actually die before they reach that stage of life. How many people live till their 70s, their 80s, their 90s, where you can actually physically see that change come upon them? In fact, he says many people will die well before that. So it's not something which is a commonly experienced sign, not something which everyone will go through. The third reason, he says, is because the people of Iman and the people of disbelief are equal in the regard of old age. 
just as someone who's a disbeliever can reach old age, become senile, become frail and weak, then likewise many believers go through that stage as well. There are many believers, they're not exempt from that. You don't find believers who, for example, sometimes in the 70s and 80s, that every single Muslim, every single mu'min, every believer is going to be saved from uh, reaching old age and or, the, or, the, or having the feebleness of old age or becoming senile when they become old. He says, therefore, it's something which is uh, applicable to believers as much as it is uh, as it is uh, to disbelievers as well. And that's why he says that when those verses that are being used by the likes of Sheikh Muhammad Lamin al-Shaqiti, even though Sheikh Muhammad Lamin obviously comes much later on, but he's referring to those verses that are used by those scholars where Allah Azzawajal, which Allah Azzawajal says, وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمْرِ From amongst you there are those who will be returned to extreme old age. He says that when Allah Azzawajal mentions those verses, it's never mentioned in the context of the disbelievers only. But rather it is mentioned in the general sense of humans, believers and disbelievers, it includes all of them. And so therefore Allah says, وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُتَوَفَّى From amongst you there are some who will die before they reach old age. وَمِنْكُمْ مَنْ يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمْرِ And from amongst you there are those who are returned to old age. لِكَيْ لَا يَعْلَمَ مِنْ بَعْدِ عِلْمٍ شَيْئًا So that they would not know after having previously had knowledge. Right? And this was the position that was chosen by Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa knows best, as you can see, both of them have their evidences and both of them greatly champion those two positions. And what seems to be apparent and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best is that they're speaking about slightly different things. And much of this comes down to your understanding of the previous verse, If we're looking at it just from a dunya point of view and from the point of view of there being amongst the Arabs and, and so on, the disbelievers, those who only look at this life in the context of this life, they don't believe in an afterlife, then you can understand the position of Imam Al-Tabari and Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti and Al-Shawkani, Rahimahumullah, amongst others. But if you're looking at it in the more broad sense, in the greatest sense of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is establishing the proof upon them, whether they accept it or not, and the reality of a person's fitrah and the internal state as well, then you can understand the position of the likes of Al-Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim, Rahimahumullah Ta'ala. And therefore, I think from the two, the position of it being the Hawfire, Allah Alam seems to be close and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala knows best, uh, knows best and Allah Azza wa knows best. But as you can see, they all have their different um, positions regarding this and their strength of argument is, is good on both sides and Allah Azza wa knows best. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala then goes on to verse number 6 and Allah Azza wa says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Except those who believe and do good deeds, they will have an unfailing reward. Right? They have an unfailing reward. غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ uh, Mufti Taqi translated that word as being a reward never ending. And Muhsin Khan, they shall have a reward without end and then in brackets, paradise. Uh, and Sahih International, they will have a reward uninterrupted. A reward that is uninterrupted. So, um, the verse that we have now, Qatada said concerning it that Allah says that we will return people to old age except for those who believe and do righteous deeds. So they will have their complete reward just as they did before. Al-Hasan al-Basri said, رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ فِي النَّارِ We will choose to Turn them to the lowest, return them to the lowest of the low in the fire, except for those who believe and do righteous deeds. 
there are uh, two particular issues with regards to this verse, or two points that I want to mention that are mentioned in the books of Tafsir. Um, and uh, this exception, when Allah says, we will return them to the lowest of the low, except for those who believe and do righteous deeds. Uh, Al-Imam Ibn Taymiyyah and after him Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti and others, they said it is very similar in meaning to Surah Al-Asr, where Allah says, Indeed, mankind is in loss, except for those who believe and do righteous deeds. In this Surah, Allah is saying we will return them to the lowest of the low, and then you have a similar exception. And both Ibn Taymiyyah and Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti and others take this from the statement of Al-Hasl al-Basri ta'ala because he has something similar to this in that meaning. And obviously Imam Al-Hasl al-Basri is from the senior tabi'een. So he predates Ibn Taymiyyah and, and others by centuries. So that's where they take it from. Uh, so this is an exception. The question here though for the first, first issue of the two that are mentioned in this tafsir is that how is the exception to be understood? So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, that it is an exception that it is an exception what is the exception being referred to right is it an exception is it an, is it an exception that those people are saved from what those other people go through of old age for example if you take that position of old age uh, of, of going through uh, becoming senile in old age is that the exception that physically they will be saved from that or are we referring to the exception being something else in the sense that it is that yes, even though they will go through the old age, the disbelievers, it doesn't benefit them their old age. But for the believer, even if they're unable to do something because of some weakness, whether mental or physical or elsewhere, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves for them their full reward. And Allah Azza wa gives it to them. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we know, as is established in the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, if someone is sick or if someone uh, is traveling, and then they, are, they miss certain deeds that they would normally do whilst they are resident or whilst they are healthy, Allah Azza wa gives them the reward of those deeds in full. Likewise, when someone reaches an old age, so now they can no longer fast in Ramadan, for example. They can no longer stand while praying, for example. They can no longer uh, do certain acts of worship that they used to do before. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them that exact same reward. And Allah Azza wa doesn't take anything away from them. Right? So the two, those are the two positions that we have. So the first position is that what's being referred to is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala safeguards those people from that type of issue, that they don't fall into, uh, that they don't fall into ardal al-umar, for example. They don't fall into the uh, issue of, of, being, um, of, of falling into old age. Allah azza wa preserves them from being senile, becoming feeble and so on. Uh, and obviously, if you take the, the position that is referring to the fire of hell, then Allah Azza wa Jal clearly saves them from that position as well. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala saves the believers from the fire. So uh, that's the first position that you have amongst the scholars of of tafsir. That it's actually a physical saving from them, right? So that's what that's what's being referred to. And this was uh, referred to as being a statement, for example, of Ikrimah and amongst others, Qatada and others, that they said that this person will be saved from that because. By virtue of them, what? Of reading the Quran, of turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in worship, 
of, of being from amongst those people who turn to Allah Azza wa Jalla in ibadah, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala preserves them by virtue of the good deeds that they were performing, by virtue of the good that they were doing, by virtue of the Quran that they were reciting, by virtue of the ibadah that they were performing, Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala saves them from going into their old age. Now that can be safeguarded in the sense that that person passes away before they reach um, that old old age. And what it means by old age is not someone who is 80 or 70 or 90, but they have you know the ability to still uh, kind of look after themselves and manage themselves and they're relatively healthy obviously old age has its its uh, difficulties with it but they are generally yani independent ish they're able to do what they can do they have the faculties of their mind they have the presence of mind to be able to understand and so on what's referring to and what the prophet also as is mentioned in the sunnah that he would actually make dua that allah protects him from it it is one of the things that allah allah's messenger وسلم, would seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from is ardal al-umr and the word ardal radil comes from the meaning of something which is belittling right radal or something which is ardal al-umr is the belittling age what is the belittling age it, and it doesn't refer to a particular age but it refers to a state when a person gets to that state where they're no, no longer able to look after themselves they're no longer able to understand, they're no longer able to be conscious of who's around them or what's around them. And so therefore they reach a stage where they are now completely dependent upon others, even in the most basic of uh, duties in terms of their personal hygiene and cleanliness and so on and so forth, you know, eating and drinking, they are completely dependent. And that's what the Prophet used to seek refuge from. That doesn't mean it's haram, it doesn't mean something bad if someone reaches that age, no. That's something which Allah has decreed for them. And no doubt they have their reward and the people who look after them have that great reward for the patience and the goodness that they show towards them. But the Prophet from his own position, and if you follow that dua from the position of a Muslim, is that they don't want to be in that position where they have to kind of suffer. And it is to some extent a level of being um, you know, belittled in, in one way, humiliated in one way because of the need to be dependent upon those people. right? The need to be dependent upon others to look after you. And those people, depending on what they are and how they are and what they're like, as we know and we see too often around us uh, in the communities and the societies that we live in, depending on how they react, that also depends or that also determines how much honor that person is treated with. If they have good people that look after them, children, grandchildren, family members who actually take honor in looking after them and, and look, that, look for that reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that sense of being belittled or degraded is actually very small. Because they preserve that person's honor and their izzah and they preserve their station and their and their and their respect and they are very respectful towards them even though that situation is difficult for both parties. But if a person is surrounded by people, may Allah Azza wa Jal save us from that, uh, from people who are not not of that kind of character, but people who actually show that they're they're upset and they're fed up and that they don't want to be there, they'd rather be anywhere else, and that it's actually a burden and a hindrance to them and upon them then those are the people that actually make that situation even more unbearable, even more insufferable. And so that is what the Prophet would seek refuge from, to be in that sort of state. And so Allah knows best, but it is two ways. The Ardal al-Umar is one, your physical state or your mental state yourself, but also in the way that other people treat you, and that's why it is called Ardal al-Umar. Ardal al-Umar. But actually we know that to reach old age upon Ibad and Tawheed is something which is which is actually uh, recommended or liked if a person can have that. And the, and the Prophet ﷺ said that from the best of people are those who have a long life upon good action. Those people who live a long life upon good deeds. 
But when a person no longer has the ability to perform those good deeds because of their mental inability to do so, they lose the ability to understand and, and, and uh, lose recognition of what's around them and so on, then that now becomes a different stage. And so there is a difference between the two and that's an important distinction to make. So some of the scholars were of the opinion, and you will find this in the books of Tadabur al-Qur'an, in Qur'anic contemplation, Qur'anic tafsir and so on, there are numerous statements from amongst the early scholars of how you know, there are certain people who, because of their attachment to the Qur'an, they would say that the Qur'an is something which keeps you uh, which keeps your mind going and it keeps you strong and so on. And Allah Azza knows best and that's possible and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best but it doesn't just simply mean and Allah knows best by simply reading the Qur'an that the Qur'an will do that. But they're speaking about in the early sense of the recitation and the reading of the Qur'an a reading with understanding, with contemplation where you're actually using your mind and we know from uh, you know more recent uh, medical studies and neurological studies and so on that actually using your mind and training your mind and keeping it active is one of the ways to uh, to to kind of uh, ward off the onset of dementia and Alzheimer's and those types of illnesses. May Allah Azza wa keep us and our loved ones safe. And so that's something which uh, is is actually you know said to have some medical science behind it. And that's why one of the things that they recommend is that you're constantly mentally challenging yourself, learning new stuff, con- continuously learning and benefiting and reading because what it does is it helps you to keep training your mind and continue to make connections in your mind and the more that you use it then the stronger that it becomes and the less that you use it because you kind of just withdraw or you're just simply watching tv all day or you don't really do anything else and you don't use your brain in that way then the more likely it is that that brain doesn't have anything to connect with right and i read read a number of studies regarding that but we don't have time to go into but it is interesting in its own way because if the medical science is true or there is some medical science behind it, then this is perhaps what the scholars were referring to without obviously knowing the science and the medicine behind it because they lived hundreds of years ago. But people who are actively uh, mentioning or, or, or speaking about and Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, uh, he mentions in his tafsir regarding these verses about one of the scholars of Medina that he came across. Uh, and, and we'll mention, I, I actually noted down uh, his statement from his tafsir, uh, of a similar meaning, but inshallah, I think we'll come to that very shortly. So that's the first position anyway in, with regards to the istithna. The illa ladina is a physical exception. It's an exception to those people being included in that. Another said, now actually what it, what it means is that the exception is with, in terms of reward. The disbeliever, when they go back into, when, when the exception is made, uh, when the disbeliever, when they go into old age, or they become senile or feeble or weak, whatever it may be, that person doesn't have the opportunity or doesn't have the ability to do good deeds. They don't have anything that Allah saves for them because they're people of disbelief. Whereas the believer, the mu'min, even if they reach that stage where they're no longer able to worship Allah, they can't actively worship Allah, they have some weakness in their ability to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah will give them exactly the same reward as if they were doing it when they were at the pinnacle of their health and at the pinnacle of their physical and mental strength. Right? And that's what he, uh, Imam al-Tabir mentions, uh, a number of those positions and he mentions other similar statements um, similar statements but all of them of Ibn Abbas and others uh, but it is similar in its meaning it is similar in its meaning um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, Allah azza wa jal uh, and, so, and, and this is the position that also um, Ibn, Ibn al-Imam al-Tabri ta'ala, then chooses he chooses the position out of the two that is referring to Allah Azza wa Jal giving those people their full reward. That's the one that he chooses out of the two. 
that it's the full reward that they will receive, not that they're physically unable to reach that stage of old age, and that's again because it's something which is well seen, right, witnessed by many people, even people who are uh, believers who actively read the Quran and so on, perhaps on occasion there are amongst them those who will also go and reach that stage of life where they no longer have the ability, the physical or the mental strength to be able to use them. Uh, this is what I was looking for. The statement of, of uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, he mentions in his tafsir, he says that from amongst the people that I have seen in my time in the city of Medina is the famous Sheikh of Quran, Hassan al-Sha'ir. He says that this Sheikh, uh, and this is, we're talking about like 50 odd years ago when the Sheikh was alive, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin. He says that this Sheikh, Sheikh Hassan al-Sha'ir, is from the major scholars of Quran in the city of Medina. And he says that he's still alive whilst I write these words. And he's well over a hundred years old. And he's still from amongst the active teachers of Quran in the city of Medina. And he has many students that come and read to him the Quran and he still teaches them the ten qiraat and so on and so forth. And he says to the extent that I have seen him on more than one occasion, listening to more than one student at the same time, and he still corrects both of them and he's able to follow each one of them in their recitation. And that's a skill, by the way, to be able to listen to two students at the same time and to be able to listen, even though they're reading from different places and maybe doing different qiraat and so on, and to be able to follow this one and that one, that's something which is a skill. And I saw that from my own sheikh that I read Quran to in Medina, Sheikh uh, Sayyid Lashin, rahimahullah ta'ala. He would often have when he became busy, uh, especially towards the end of my studies when he became very well known and he had many, many students that started coming to him. He would often listen to two of us at a time, one on the left and one, one on the right and one on the left. And what he would do is I would, for example, be reading in Hafs, maybe someone else is reading in Warsh or someone else is doing Qiraat and I, I also memorized with him the, the uh, Jazariya, the poem. And so when I would be reading to him, he would correct me and he would correct that person. All from memory. I'm reading maybe from Surah, uh, I don't know, Surah Al-Isra and he's reading from Surah Zumar. I'm reading in one qira, he's reading in all ten. And he's there back and forth between them. And that is something which is, uh, it is a skill and it is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But no doubt that comes with many years. And rarely, if ever, do I remember him missing a mistake. You know, that you would think that you could just pass quickly by and you wouldn't notice. He was, subhanAllah, he would, but he wouldn't look anywhere else. He would look down and often he would close his eyes or he would have like a bench or something, you know, one of those Quran stands that he would close and he would actually lean on it and, and, and put his head down and he would just be able to concentrate on two and as if he would block out every other sound uh, around him in the masjid that, that he used to teach in Rahimahullah Ta'ala. But this is what Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin is saying Rahimahullah Ta'ala and this is a scholar. And no doubt those ulama of qiraat have their ability because when you're doing qiraat, the amount of uh, focus that it takes and attention and the level of concentration that it takes to be able to understand the different recitations and to listen to what is called the jam'ah when a person is learning the ten qiraat and they read, they read all ten together and so they have to call what is called the jam'ah the gathering of the ten of a verse so for example if you're reading Watini wa Zaytun you have to read them all ten if there's any differences then each one you have to read one after the other to be able to understand that, and there are different ways of doing that but to be able to follow that and focus on that is something which requires a great deal of concentration and so perhaps that's what he's referring to as well. From the other sheikhs of Qur'an that I met and had the opportunity to see, even though I didn't study with him, uh, was Sheikh Ubaidullah al-Afghani, rahimahullah ta'ala, originally from Afghanistan, but settled in Saudi Arabia for many, many years, and he became a citizen, and he used to live in the uh, the southern uh, region of Saudi, modern-day Saudi Arabia, towards the Yemeni border, in a region called Abha. 
but then he moved to uh, Medina and, and that's where I saw him and he used to teach in the Haram and listen in the Haram and I remember some of my friends going to the Sheikh to take the ijazah from him uh, in, 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 in Hafs and he would keep a student on Fatiha for a month or two that student wouldn't move from Fatiha and so they will read and read and read Surah Fatiha if you were able to pass those two months of Fatiha then you were able to progress and you could, you could actually make good uh, progression with the Sheikh but if not, if you're someone who couldn't last, you didn't have the patience, you didn't have that determination, then they, you would drop out. And so the sheikh was extremely old as well, very old, hunchback because of his old age. He passed away not too long ago, not many years ago. Those are ulama that I used to see. And you know they are still around in, in different communities. People that have spent their life, and similar to them are the ulama of hadith. Those people who understand the narrators, and when you're reading to them, they can make connections. That activeness of the brain, and Allah Azza wa knows best, is perhaps a way that uh, the brain, brain is preserved by Allah's permission. And no doubt when a person busies themselves anyway with worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and focusing on what Allah Azza wa is pleasing to him subhanahu wa ta'ala, then no doubt that is something which is also helpful in preserving Allah's blessings upon you. And Allah Azza wa knows best. But that statement that I found of Sheikh Muhammad al Amin. Uh, not only brought back many memories, but it shows uh, the the point that he was that he was that he was making anyway of how it's something which benefits a person. But anyway, um, that's the position, as I said, that Sheikh Muhammad Al Amin therefore chooses that the istithna that is being referred to is that those people are actually saved from uh, from uh, the, the 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 feebleness of old age. So that's one way that a person may actually be saved from it. The other way in which that person may be saved is that they pass away before they reach that stage. right? And so the Prophet ﷺ making dua that Allah saves him from it is that Allah Azza wa decrees that he passes away at an age where that's not normally going to happen and likewise for many other people that they pass away well before they reach that age and Allah Azza wa knows best. Brother scholars said, and that's because Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin as we said chose a position and so he's consistent in his position. He said that it's referring to as well as Safirin old age. So therefore he says that the exception is from that old age. Right? And other scholars who said that it is from the Hawfai, they said no, actually it's referring to something else and that is the reward, that Allah Azza wa preserves that reward from you. The second issue in this verse uh, that the scholars then also discussed and differed over, or that you will find more than one opinion over, is the uh, part or the ending of this verse. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, غَيْرُ memnoon. What does the word memnoon? mean what does the word memnoon mean right? and in the translations as i said uninterrupted without end never ending there are two positions amongst the scholars of tafsir the first of them is that it is not in any way uh, deficient that it's not in any way made deficient right that it's not in any way made deficient and this was the statement of ibn abbas anhuma, amongst others that he said, فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ يَقُولُ غَيْرُ مَنْقُوسٍ That Allah doesn't in any way make it deficient. So for example, a person who, uh, and that's what we said, as is mentioned in the surah of the Prophet that if a person is unable to worship Allah for a valid reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them the exact same reward. So it's not deficient in any way. In any way, it is not made deficient. And others from amongst the scholars, the second position that you will find amongst the scholars of tafsir, is that the word غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ refers to غَيْرُ مَحْسُوبَ that it is without ending, uninterrupted, without any limit placed upon it. So it is something which is 
never ending. So Allah Azza wa doesn't give them a limited reward, but it is a reward uh, without hisab. Right? As Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, hisab. We will give to them a reward without any accounting meaning. We won't count, we won't limit. It is uninterrupted, never ending. And this was a position chosen by Mujahid and Ibrahim and Nakhai, rahimahumullah, amongst, other, amongst others. And Imam Tabari himself, rahimahullah ta'ala, chose the position that it is غير منقوص, that it is not deficient in any way. And that's basically based on the hadith that we see in the, uh, in the, in the sunnah as we mentioned before. Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shanqiti, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said actually there is no difference between the two, meaning both are acceptable and correct meanings. He said the first meaning, that it is not deficient in any way, um, he says that's referring to how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will benefit that person in this life, meaning that that person, it is either speaking about that person's reward, so the reward, not, not the individual, but the reward, that reward won't be made deficient. Just because a person can't pray standing, that reward is preserved. Just, a person, just because a person can no longer fast in Ramadan, that reward is preserved. Or it is a statement about the angels, that they will write that person's actions with full reward. He says, as for the second meaning, that it's an unending, uninterrupted type of reward, he says, and that's referring to the final reward of Jannah. Right? And that's the position that was chosen by uh, Muhsin Khan in his translation in brackets, he put paradise. He says that's the second meaning. So when we say uninterrupted, unending, that's basically the end reward. So that's what's referring to. So one is referring to how the reward is preserved in this life for that person, that it's not in any way made deficient. And then the second tafsir, so basically he's saying that there's not a, 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 a contradiction between the two, but that the two are complementary and they speak about two types of, of things, right? Two types of things. This word mamnoon in the Arabic language, uh, and it appears a number of times in the Quran, comes from the root word man, man, right? And Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this in the Quran, where he says in Surah Al-Baqarah, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تُبْطِلُوا صَدَقَاتِكُمْ بِالْمَنِّ وَالْأَذَىٰ O you who believe, do not make your sadaqat, your charities, futile, null, void, by making man and adha. And the word adha means harm, by harming, with your charity. The word man in this verse is basically by means, or is often translated as meaning by using favor, by currying favor. How does a person use favor when they when they make sadaqah, when they give sadaqah and they give charity? It's by reminding that person that you gave charity to, or that you gave that gift to, or that you did that favor towards, or that goodness towards, reminding them constantly of the good that you did towards them. That is men. And men is therefore, so when someone comes to you and they say, look, can I borrow your car? And you're like, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, it's a favor. Then for the rest of you know your life and their life, or for a good like next few weeks and months and years, you hold it over them. But don't you remember I borrowed you my car? Don't you remember the day I borrowed you my car? Look, I want this car, I gave you something, why don't you? And so you're constantly using it and holding it over them. And so you're actually harming them. That person wanted something good from you rather than actually receiving a benefit which they did receive in a limited way, they're now actually held to something which is over their head for much longer. So their benefit from it actually was not as great as they perhaps envisaged it being. That's something which is not allowed in Islam. And actually Allah Azza wa says that that's one of the ways that you nullify your acts of goodness of sadaqah. And even though that's physical charity as we know, charity in the sharia has two meanings in Islam. One is the actual physical act of giving money and wealth and food of charity. But in a more general sense, everything is sadaqah, right? Saying la ilaha illallah is sadaqah and saying subhanallah is sadaqah as is mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. 
every morning that you wake up, every single limb of your body upon it due is a due sadaqah, a due charity. So then the Prophet said to remove rubbish from the road is sadaqah, to say subhanallah is sadaqah, alhamdulillah is sadaqah, to help someone with their possessions is sadaqah, to smile is sadaqah. All of this is sadaqah in its most general sense. All of that sadaqah, that goodness can be nullified and voided when we actually use the favor that we did, the sadaqah that we did, and we hold it over someone. That's the meaning of al-man in the Arabic language, and it's used in the context in the Quran. But from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also is what? Which name Allah, of Allah comes from this same word? Who can tell me in the comments? Which name from the names of Allah actually comes from that same root word? Al-Mannan. Al-Mannan. Allah is Al-Mannan. So therefore, what's the difference? The difference is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala holds it over us, He has a right to hold it over us. And so the holding of Allah over us is a means for us to remember him, to thank him, to praise him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so that meaning in the in the in the um in in the sharia is a correct meaning as it befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when Allah therefore speaks about the reward of those people that he will give, there it is also ghayru mamnoon. It is going to be given to them without any, the people of Jannah that go in, Allah will not say to them in Jannah, but don't you remember in the dunya you stole, don't you remember in the dunya you lied, don't you remember in the dunya you used to backbite, don't you remember in the dunya, Allah will hold that to them and upon them once they enter into Jannah. Once the people of Jannah are in Jannah, Allah gives them غَيْرُ memnoon, an uninterrupted, uninterrupted, never-ending reward that is in no way deficient and Allah does not hold that upon them. In the dunya, Allah is al-mannan, that is for us to remember that Allah has given us these blessings. So the very least that we can do is thank Him and the very least that we can do is show good towards, uh, praise Him subhanahu wa ta'ala and obey and worship Him. Just as the one who does good to you in the dunya, it is also from the sunnah to thank them and to make dua for them. But the meaning of al-man, the second meaning, is where you use it as a means of arrogance, of pride, of looking down upon people, of belittling them. That's what's not allowed in the Sharia, and that is the meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't allow as is mentioned in the Quran. Right? And so when Allah says, Falahum ajrun mamnoon, it comes from the root word, root word of man, and man uh, from it also we have the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al Mannan, which is from his names, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah knows best. I think we will, inshallah ta'ala, uh, break here because the next verse then is also a long verse. So inshallah ta'ala, I think we will conclude here for today. So if you have any questions, inshallah, we can take those questions. Let me just uh, see what we have here. Thank you. Sumaira, when Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin Shaqiti made the curse case for verse 5, Referring to uh, being senile, you mentioned one argument was that the Quraysh were never known the fire, therefore it could not mean that. But then by many Makki surahs talk about akhirah, punishment, etc. addressed to Quraysh. Exactly, which is the reason why a number of those scholars uh, of, of, of the other position that it's the fire that's being referred to, use that same uh, position to support that as well. But actually to be fair to the position of Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shaqit and al-Tabri and others, they're speaking about just the context of this verse, that is the context that Allah is establishing the fact that there will be an afterlife. So yes, there are other verses that speak about that concept because there are believers that accept it and so on. And Allah mentions it generally anyway in the Quran. But in this particular verse, as an evidence, 
to support resurrection to a people that don't believe resurrection, can you use an evidence that they don't accept, right? Uh, and that's what that's why these scholars said that actually it's referring to uh, this particular context, right? So it's to be fair to them, it's not exactly the same thing. It's not exactly the same thing. I can understand and appreciate where they're coming from because they're referring to it from a specific angle, right? And that's what they're actually uh, speaking about. Allah Azza wa knows best, but no doubt there are other verses, as you said in the Quran from the Mecca source that do speak about that particular issue. If we take the meaning of Asfal Safilin as loss of your fitri purpose, thus entering the fire, how do you explain to others about the pronoun we? Returned insan to Asfal Safilin. It is insan who returns himself to that spirituality, spiritually low position, not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, so there's no contradiction between the two because no doubt what a person does, it is done by Allah's uh, permission. Everything is under the qada and the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah Azza wa Jal, for example, says, وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا إِنْ يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ You cannot wish or will anything except that Allah Azza wa Jal wishes it and wills it first. Right? That's what it's referring to. So when Allah Azza wa Jal says, ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ السَّافِلِينَ It's not that Allah Azza wa Jal forced them or made them choose the path of kufr, but now that they have, Allah Azza wa Jal is saying that this is the result that Allah has placed there for. That is the consequence that Allah has laid out. And no doubt, Allah Azza wa Jal has a qada and a qadr which is kawni, right? And that's Allah's universal law. Universal law is that if you, uh, you know, if you do certain things, Allah has placed certain laws, that those laws will be followed. And likewise, Allah Azza wa Jal has certain laws in the Sharia. And from the laws of the Sharia, as we know, is that the people of Kufr in the next life will go into the fire. And so it's from that particular point of view, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Uh, Hadiyah, when we implement the Quran, is there any basis in implementing the Quran in revelation order? I don't know what you mean by that. Can you explain what you mean by in revelation order? Do you mean like we take the command as they came down in revelation order and do that one by one? Is that what you're referring to? If that's what you're referring to, then no, that's like incorrect because the, uh, for example, the commandment to uh, to perform Hajj came right at the end of Islam. Came right at the end of Islam, so it came in the ninth or tenth year of the Hijrah, right? So we're talking right at, right at the end of Islam, and many a number of rulings of Islam come very very much towards the end. But if a person is in that situation, you don't say to them, no, do everything else first. And once you, you know, 20 odd years down the line, you make Hajj or 20 odd years down the line, you do certain things, right? That's not, uh, that's not correct. Likewise, alcohol and so on, right? Those were things that were made haram in the Medinan period. So you're looking at like, well, 13, 14, 15 years or more after the beginning of Islam. So therefore, when it comes to implementing the Quran, the, the way that the Quran is implemented is that the Sharia bases it upon what is obligatory and then what is less obligatory. Right? And that's how you implement the Quran, what is prohibited and what is not prohibited, what is obligated and not obligated. And that is how you do it. And there's no order for that. But what is an obligation upon you, you must perform to the best of your ability uh, as soon as it becomes an obligation upon you. So for example, if you have to pray, you have to pray. You can't say, okay, but prayer came before Ramadan, so I'm not going to perform Ramadan for a few years, or that it came before Zakat, so I'm going to give my... No, those obligations are upon you, and you do them to the best of your ability. So, for example, if someone's a new Muslim, and they can't, for example, pray uh, because they don't know all of the du'as and so on, the Sharia has a certain way, certain adhkar that they can make instead of all of the du'as and the Qur'an that we recite in Salah, right? And the Sharia has those things in built within it, for those people who are in those exceptional circumstances. But if you're asking for the general average Muslim, how do they implement the Quran? They implement it based upon what is an obligation. And this position that it's something which is done in revelation order, I have never come across that. No, would it make any sense? And Allah Azza wa Jal 
knows best. Did Qatada hold both opinions for Asfal al-Safineen? Perhaps Allah Azza knows best because he's mentioned as having both. But the statement of his is uh, that statement that is actually attributed to him is the statement that he said that it's referring to uh, Asfal al-Safineen as being old age. But he's mentioned as having the other opinion as well by name. The Qatada also held that position. So Allah Azza knows best. It is perhaps both. And as we said before, sometimes the scholars held both positions because they didn't necessarily see it as being a, uh, a contradiction right, between the two because they understood it to mean or the verse to carry both meanings. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala we'll conclude here for today. Jazakumullah khairan. And inshallah ta'ala we will continue with the tafsir of this surah next week. Barakallahu feekum. Muslim ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.